Well, good morning. You feel a little bit more awake this week than last weekend? I'm hoping so. Last week you were dragging, I could tell. You were just kind of still getting over Christmas and, and all that. But it feels a little bit more like the new year this year, doesn't it? It's starting to feel like, hey, we're actually, it's 2009, we're here. And so we have a special message today. Uh, you know, this was a message I was going to deliver last week until the Lord kind of messed things up and had a different message for last week. And uh, so this is a very appropriate message for this week uh, as well as we enter into the new year. And uh, if you're brand new here at Rocky Peak, I want to welcome you. Glad you could join us. Uh, my name is Pastor Mike, and inside the, uh, your program, your weekend program, is a white message note sheet that you'll want to take out for this time of teaching because we, we use that every week. It just helps us go through the time of teaching. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And Oh, I do want to give you a quick update, though, on our finances. You know, last week I did that, kind of gave you an update year in finances. And I, I don't really have a really great update right now. Um, because what happened is that, you know, uh, New Year's uh, offices closed December 31st at noon. And so what I, what I know is of that point, we had fallen far short of our goal uh, for, for this uh, month. Uh, the things I don't know is that, of course, anything postmarked in the mail uh, that still comes in will be, you know, counted for that, that year, obviously. And then also we won't know for the next week or two exactly how our, our year-end uh, December expenses, invoices all come in. And so um, I will let you know as soon as I know, uh, probably end of this week or more likely next week, um, I will send out a congregational letter via email again that will um, give you an update on our year in finances, our proposed 2009 budget. Remember, we have our congregational meeting coming up where we take the, the vote on that all on uh, January the 25th, Sunday night. And uh, we, talk, we vote on elders and all that night too. And so I'll get all that to you in the next uh, couple of weeks to prepare you uh, for that. So just a reminder again, but I would love to be able to connect with you via email. I don't send out a lot of emails, but when I do, you know, the ministry updates, they're important things. And so please do that. And especially if like, you're married, you have a husband and wife, like if you would both put your email down, then you'll both get it. Because I, I know how this works. Sometimes just one fills out the card and then just the one gets the email. And then it's probably the one who doesn't read my emails, you know. And so I think I'd rather have a 50-50 chance, you know, of the, getting the one who does read the email. So uh, we would like to move towards becoming a more email congregation. <laughs> uh, so it just saves trees and saves times and money and all those kind of things. So if you'd be sure to write that down uh, for us, and you'll get that when that comes in the next week or two. Okay, so uh, we're going to pray, uh, and then I'll jump right in. So let's, uh, let's go to prayer. Father, thank you so much what you're doing in our church, what you're doing in our lives. God, we're excited about it. Uh, we're learning week by week what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Lord, we sense your spirit coming series after series, teaching, shaping, molding us, downloading to us your vision for this church. And we're just excited about the future. And so we today, Lord, another important topic, uh, start of a brand new year. Uh, it's a time of New Year's resolutions and reevaluations, and we just pray that today you'd use this message to speak to us whatever you want to say in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today just about four weeks ago. It was uh, December the 8th. It was a Sunday. Um, and, uh, and Lynn and I, I you know, had finished preaching, and, and Lynn and I had, had planned to take a week of vacation. And 
Uh, we do this sometimes in December. Uh, it's kind of a good time, get away from, for the holidays and all, because it's a really busy time during the holidays here. And so uh, we planned to get away, but um, it, it kind of our plans had fallen through this year. Some things had come up, and they'd fallen through. We weren't going to be able to both get away. But I still had the week of vacation planned, and, and Lynn said, well, that's fine. Why don't you just get away? You know, it's like she gave me the green light. To, Why don't you just do something? And to go on some kind of adventure. And so this is really great because um, it's just awesome to have a wife like this, first of all. And, uh, and so I kind of wish some of you did. And, no, anyway, that's, uh, <laughs> that, uh, anyway, just moving right along. Uh, what's even cooler was that she had uh, cut out an article for me about three or four months ago. It was in the summer. Um, and it was this amazing one-page article about this guy who'd gone on a, on a road trip. He'd, he'd rented a Harley. He'd, um, he'd gone to Northern California, and he'd ridden this, this, uh, this 32-mile stretch in, the, in the, the huge redwoods up there called the, uh, the Avenue of the Giants. And, uh, and it's about two hours south of Oregon. He just had this amazing time riding this, this thing. And there's this old roadhouse there that caters to motorcyclists. It's on the south fork of the Eel River, this historic place. And he describes this and all. And so she'd cut this out for me last summer. And I, when I read the article, I thought, man, this would be an amazing trip sometime. Just take a motorcycle, go up Route 1, you know, all the way to San Francisco, north of San Francisco. Then you cut over. You're almost to Eureka. And just what an awesome trip this would be sometime. And so I thought, you know, just someday, someday that would be great. And so now it's December, Lynn and I are supposed to get away, but, but we can't get away, and she gives me the permission to, to do some kind of adventure, and so I'm thinking, like, well, this is a little crazy. It's December, Northern California, it's a little, getting kind of cold up there, you know, it could be snow, whatever, but, but, um, but this would be awesome. And so uh, December 8th, four weeks ago, Sunday afternoon, I pack up my motorcycle, and I head out, 1,600 miles, uh, six days, um, and it really seemed, at the time, like it was a good idea. <laughs> oh. Well, uh, today we're continuing our series. <laughs> it's, uh, it's called The Way. And for those of you who are brand new here at Rocky Peak, let me bring you up to speed. This is a study of the life and teaching of the Apostle Paul. We've been in this series since last uh, February. We're actually in the fourth and final mini-series in the way called Created for Community. And uh, what we're doing in this series is we're, we're coming alongside the Apostle Paul, who's really one of the greatest Christ followers of all time, and asking him to mentor us. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be part of his movement that in the early church was first called the way. Now, it's been a few weeks since we've been in this series, right? It's been, it seems like a long time. We've taken three weeks off, uh, one for this trip I was on, and two for, uh, for Christmas and New Year's. And uh, it seems a while, but, but I'm kind of excited about coming back. It's almost like coming back to an old friend. You know, we've been with this, uh, the Apostle Paul for all year. And, uh, and I'm excited about the next three weeks. We, we actually uh, just have two or three more weeks, and then we're done with this series. Then we're moving on to the next series called uh, The Movement and Rocky Peak. It's a series about our vision, our values, our strategies for the future, and just very excited about that. But I'm also excited about the next few weeks while we're, we're kind of wrapping up this series because just some great topics. And today we come to what? Uh, to chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go to chapter 15 of Romans. For those of you who are new, what we do every week is we start off with the Apostle Paul's, one of his longest and most famous letters, his, his letter to the Church of Rome. And, and then we use it as a launching pad to the rest of his teaching. And so we're in Romans chapter 15. And let me just set the stage. 
if you've been with us for the last part of this series before we took our little break, Romans 14 is all about a topic we call gray areas or gray matters. A gray area is an area of the Christian life that's not a life or death issue. It doesn't decide whether you go to heaven or not. It's not like who Jesus is or or who God is or how we have a relationship with God. It's not a core thing like that. It's not even the core moral code of the New Testament that's non-negotiable. Here's what it means to be a Christian. It, 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 a gray area involves those areas of the Christian life where we're honest Christians who love God and treasure his word, really honestly disagree. And what we learn from the Apostle Paul is that when we come into gray areas, and we've all, we all have, we have in this church, whatever, that, that it's the most important thing we're in a gray area is not so much to be right, but to be good. Remember that? That we're, the, 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 the major calling is that we're to love and accept one another in these gray areas, even if we disagree, even if we think the other person is wrong, even if they are wrong, that it's more important to love one another than to always be right. Okay? And so that's the, the big lesson. Now, he's continuing on this topic in the first half of chapter 15. And so if you see on, the, on your note sheet there, you have a section called Gray Matters uh, Part 3. We're going to walk through the passage. And, uh, but our topic today is really not about gray matters. It's really uh, about something else. And we'll, we'll, I'll tell you more about that as we, we jump in. So let's take our Bibles and we'll start at verse 1. <laughs> it says, We who are strong... Um, now, remember, in context, in chapter 14, 15, a strong believer is someone who has a clear understanding of their relationship with God through Jesus Christ. A weak believer is someone who's come to Jesus but doesn't really have a clear understanding of the freedom they have in Christ. So in this particular context, to be strong means that you'd be kind of more liberal or less traditional in, in this context, okay? And so it's, uh, in this context, to be weak is one of those believers that in their day felt like, hey, you have to still uh, obey all those Sabbath rules from the Old Testament. You have to uh, obey all the dietary rules. Those would be the weaker believers, okay, the stronger believers would be those who realize that, hey, we have freedom in Christ and we don't have to do those things anymore. So it says, we who are strong, we have a clear understanding, we ought to bear with the failings of the weak, those who don't quite get it yet, and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his own neighbor for his own good to build him up. So in the body of Christ, in these gray areas, it's not the issue of just who's right and who's wrong, but let's work to build each other up. Uh, in this. Sometimes that will require laying down our rights or whatever. Now, for even Christ did not please himself. So Christ is the ultimate example of someone who laid down his rights to help other people grow. Um, He didn't please himself, (laughs) as it's written, and he quotes from Psalm 69 in the Old Testament, uh, the insults of those who insult you, God, have fallen on me. So Jesus is the ultimate model of someone who came, gave up his rights, suffered for us the insults that came upon God or that should have come upon us. He took it all. Why? In order that we could grow. So in this passage, the Apostle Paul is going to say Jesus is the ultimate example of someone who gave up their rights to help someone else grow. He's our model in gray areas. We should be willing to give up our rights. Okay? That's the idea. Now, when he... he, Once he uh, quotes Psalm 69, it triggers something in the back of his mind. It's one of these sidebar comments that the Apostle Paul will often lay down that are just kind of jewels. And so here's what he says. He says, everything that was written in the past, and he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures here, okay? The Bible, we call the Bible. Everything that is written in the past was written to teach us. 
So God's word has been given to us to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul says all of us are going to go through hard times in life. And when you go through hard times in life, you need a couple things. You need endurance, just hanging in there, doing the right thing. And you need the encouragement of the scriptures. You need to read the stories of those who've gone before you. They trusted God. It worked out for them in the long run. It gives us hope for our future. So he just makes this little sidebar comment about the Bible, about the Word. And we're actually going to come back to that today. And that's going to be our topic. We're going to come back to this later. But let's move on for now. And he says, now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement, because they, they come from God, may he give you, these Christians at Rome, may he give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ. So remember, the topic is gray areas, right? They are disagreeing on them. They're having conflict. He says, hey, may God give you a spirit of unity in your church. You all get along in these areas, okay? So that, uh, in verse 6, so that with one heart and with one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can be a unified church. You can praise him together. There's not divisions going on. You're all seeking God together. And then he says in verse 7, accept one another then as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And so this is the bottom line in gray areas. We looked at this verse a couple weeks ago. Uh, that in gray areas, we need to accept one another as Christ has accepted us. Remember, we talked about this. When you came to Jesus, there wasn't a big theological exam, right? It's like you just had to get one thing right. Jesus is Lord, and I'm following him, right? That's what you had to get right. You had a million wrong opinions on all kinds of things, and Jesus didn't say, okay, I'll tell you what, go away, do some study when you get it all together, come on back, and I'll accept you into my kingdom. He just said, look, you love me, you understand the basics, I died for you, come on in, I accept you, we'll work on all the rest down the line. And, and, and so Paul says, if that's how Jesus accepted every one of us in this room, shouldn't we accept one another in the same way? We're not going to wait to accept one another until we all agree on everything and we all get everything just perfect. And then he says, for I tell you that Christ, now he's going back to Christ as the ultimate example of someone who laid down his rights for others. I tell you that Christ has become a servant to the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. So Jesus is the ultimate example. Jesus came to planet Earth. Why? To, to fulfill God's promises to the Jews, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and to fulfill God's promises to the Gentiles to bring him into the kingdom. And so Jesus laid down his rights in order that it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you can have a relationship with God. He's the ultimate example of, of a person who does this. And now mentioning the Gentiles coming in, this is a big theme, of course, in the book of Romans, that God has reached all people, Jews and Gentiles. He's bringing the Gentiles into the people of God. It's been a huge theme. We've seen it all the way through. So once he triggers on this thought of God bringing in the Gentiles through Christ, he triggers uh, in his mind all kinds of Scripture. And he's going to begin to quote for us several passages from the Old Testament that predict the coming of the Gentiles into the kingdom. Now, We've seen this all the way through Romans, haven't we? That Paul is a man of the word. 
you cannot even begin to understand the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul without understanding that he's knee-deep in the Word. His life, his teaching, everything flows out of the Word. And this is just another example. We've seen it all through Romans where he goes back over and over again. Everything he teaches, he's always going, as it says in the Scripture, as it says in the Scripture, as it says in the Scripture, as Moses said, as Abraham said, as David said. Over and over again, he goes, root, goes back to root his message in the Scripture. And, and, and so I want to go back to the very beginning of Romans, and I want to point out a verse to you right now that helps us just understand our theme for today. So keep your finger here and go back to Romans chapter 1. <coughs> in Romans chapter 1, the intro to this letter, Paul says in verse 1, <coughs> 1, 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel or the message of God, and that this gospel or this message, he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So we talked about this when we first started the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, Paul is laying out the message of God, the message of Jesus, the gospel, okay? And, and what he wants us to understand is this message that Paul brings is not something new. He's not really an innovator, that this message he brings is something that was predicted and prophesied throughout the Old Testament in the Scriptures. And that everything he is teaching is just an extension built on what the Scriptures teach it. Now, the reason I bring this up today is because this is our topic today, that we want to understand this. If you want to understand the Apostle Paul, you have to understand the man breathed Scripture. Everything in his life, everything in his teaching, everything he believes, everything in Romans, it's all flowing out of Scripture. You can't even understand him without that. Now, so let's go back to chapter 15, and let's see some of these quotes. He says that Jesus served uh, God by, and served us by taking the message of the Jews and the Gentiles. Now he quotes all these different passages from the Old Testament um, about the Gentiles. So he says, therefore, in verse, uh, verse 9, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. The Old Testament predicted this. Verse 10, again it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Another verse, verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him. You see, he's just kind of quoting this this concept that Gentiles are going to be brought in someday. He's just quoting some verses off the top of his head. Verse 12, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, of course, that's Jesus, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations, and the Gentiles will hope in him. So he's just kind of of jumping in this huge theme that he's been saying all through the book of Romans, that God has this plan to reach not only his own chosen people, but the whole world, the Gentiles. Okay? And so, and then in verse uh, 13, so, so what he's shown so far, remember topic is gray areas. How do you handle? You need to accept one another as Christ accepted us. Who's the ultimate model? Jesus, right? Who, who served the Jews, who served the Gentiles. He's kind of, this is the flow. And so that now he says in verse 13, he begins to wrap up the formal teaching of this letter. 
with verse 13, we're beginning to come now to the end of the letter. And what's going to come after this is going to be more personal, uh, kind of personal things about his life, his ministry, his plans for the future, some personal uh, greetings in chapter 16. And so we're kind of wrapping it up here. And so uh, as pastors do, kind of goes into almost like a benediction type mode. And he says, verse 13, may the God of hope fill you, as you church, you Christians in Rome, he just fill you up so you're overflowing. May he fill you with all joy and fill you with peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, man, this is what I'm praying for you. This is my prayer for you. Is it through this message that I brought, you'd have this new joy in your relationship with God. You'd have peace not only with God, but in your church with one another. You'd just be overflowing with joy, overflowing with peace. The bottom line is to have incredible hope about the future God has planned with you, and that you'd just be living as overflowing people, just excited about what God's done, what He is doing, and what He's going to do. Okay, and so you're beginning to get the sense now He's wrapping it up. He's starting to wrap it up, uh, the letter. Now, so this passage is really the last section of, of this section dealing with gray areas. That, that, uh, that is, is we're, we're to love and accept one another, we're to, to agree to disagree, we're to uh, be like Jesus was, lay down his, his rights, that's the message. But in the midst of this section, uh, he throws this little uh, sidebar about the Scripture. And as I was preparing this, here's my thoughts. Is we've already spent a couple weeks talking about gray areas. I think as a church, we kind of get this now. There's going to be areas we don't all agree on. That's okay. We don't have to wait until we do agree to love one another. Let's love one another in the meantime. It's okay to be wrong. You don't have to straighten everyone out. God can do that over time. And so, so we kind of get the message about gray areas. So what I want to do today is focus on this, this section where uh, Paul talks about the Scripture. And I want you to do a couple things. I want to use Romans 15.4 as a jumping off point to talk about the role that the Scriptures played in the Apostle Paul's life and ministry. I want to go back to Romans and take a look, a look at a couple other statements he makes about the Scripture earlier than Romans that we went over quickly at the time. I want to jump ahead and look at a, a, a statement that Paul makes about the Scriptures, his most famous statement in another one of his writings, and then talk about the implications for our lives. Okay? So there in your note sheet, you have some verses. Um, there's a section called Paul in the Word. And, and so what I want to do is, you see, notice the first big verse there is chapter 15 and verse 4. So let's start there. Let's go back. Paul says in 15.4, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Now you might want to underline that phrase. Everything written in the past was written to teach us. This is Paul's basic understanding of what we would call the Bible. That God has given us this book, uh, we call it the Bible, uh, it wasn't always called that, but it's, it's the scriptures, that, that God has given us this book, and, and the primary reason is they're given to teach us. It's like an instruction manual in life. Okay? Now what I want to do today is kind of flesh that out a little bit of it and see what else he says about it. So I want you to go back in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. Now let's go back to chapter 2. Let's look at a passage that we uh, went over more quickly before, not because it wasn't important, but because it wasn't the main topic of what Paul is talking about. Romans chapter 2 and verse 17. Let me set it up. 
Paul's talking to Jewish listeners at this part of his, of his uh, letter. And for the most part, many of his Jewish listeners did not feel a need for Jesus. And the reason is they were already the chosen people. They were already children of Abraham. They'd already received the special sign of circumcision that showed that they had a special relationship. They had been raised on the Bible, on the law of God. And so there wasn't a great, it's like, why do we need Jesus? Why do we need a Messiah to die for us? We, we kind of already have this relationship with God. So that's the context. Now, in this context, Paul is talking about the way that the Jewish nation looked at the Scriptures, what we call the Bible. And he's describing how they look at them. Now, the interesting thing is, of course, Paul was a Jew himself, and this is one area where the Apostle Paul and his Jewish listeners would be in total agreement. The way they saw the Scriptures, the way he saw the Scriptures, were exactly the same. And I want you to see how they saw the Scriptures. Verse 17. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, and you rely on the law, so that's the top, the law, the Scriptures, and you brag about your relationship with God. God and I are like this because I'm a Jew, and I was born a Jew, and I'm circumcised, and, and I've got this law. And he says, if you know his will, and you approve what is superior, like I know what's best in life. Why? Because you're instructed by the law. This was a Jewish perspective. We have the Bible, therefore we know what's best. We know what's superior in life. We know how to live. That was their perspective. Paul would agree with this, this part of the argument. And he goes on and he says in verse 19, if you're convinced that you, you as Jews, you're a guide for the blind, you're a light for those who are in the dark, you're an instructor of the foolish, and you're a teacher of infants. Why? Because you have in the law, the Old Testament Scriptures, you have in the law, now underline this, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You see that? This is how the Jews understood the Old Testament Scriptures. They are the embodiment of knowledge and truth. And on this point, Paul would be 100% in agreement. To the Apostle Paul, the Scriptures, what we would call our Bible, uh, are the very words of God. Okay, he would agree 100%. And they say, well, how do you know that? Well, because in chapter 3, he says that. So that's the next passage on your note sheet, chapter 3. Now, the context here, the argument's moving on. And you can see his Jewish listener responding to him. Well, Paul, if there's, if there's no automatic relationship with God, because I'm a Jew, because I've been circumcised, uh, I've been raised as a Jew. Is there any advantage then to growing up in a Jewish family back in that day in that time? Is there any advantage? And Paul says, yes, there is. And it's that you've been received the word of God. And so he says in chapter 3 and verse 1, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? And he says, much in every way. And catch this, first of all, they have been entrusted with the What? Okay, let's read it together. They've been entrusted with the very words of God. You see that? Paul says this is a tremendous advantage. They have been raised with the, so let's say it again, the very words of God. Now, the, and I, I want you to catch this. You cannot understand the Apostle Paul and his teaching without understanding this, that for him, this book is the very words of God. 
It's a supernatural book that's been given to teach us and, and to instruct us on how to do life together. This is his paradigm. This is his total perspective. You can't get him if you don't understand this. This is why he's always quoting it. This is why he's always referring to it. This is why he's giving you case study from Abraham, case study from David, because in the Word, the Word is the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Okay, this is his perspective. Now, there's one other passage I want us to go to where Paul fleshes out a little bit more of what he means by this phrase, the very words of God. And I want you to go in your Bibles to the right to 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's the next passage there on your note sheet. Second Timothy chapter three. This is his very most his most famous statement about the scriptures. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it if you've been a Christian for a while. We're breaking into the middle of the context. Paul's writing to Timothy, this young man he's mentoring, young pastor. Timothy had an interesting background. His mother was a Jew. His grandmother was a Jew, but his father was a Greek. He was a pagan. So Timothy was sort of like many of you here. You were raised in a mixed home spiritually. His mother and grandmother were believers in the God of Israel, uh, but his father was not. Okay? And so that's how he was raised. But his mom and his grandmother raised him on the Bible from the time he was young. And so Paul says in verse 15, uh, and how from infancy, 3.15, you, Timothy, you've learned the Holy Scriptures. Okay, the Holy Scriptures is one of Paul's names for the Old Testament. Uh, they're, they're special, they're sacred, they're holy, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. So he says the Bible is capable of bringing you into a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then he says this, all Scripture, okay, you catch this, all Scripture, whole Bible, okay, of course, for his day, it's Old Testament, right? New Testament is being written. The same principle would apply for us today. But he says, all Scripture, this book, all Scripture is God-breathed. Remember what he said? It's the very words of God. Now he's going to explain it. It's God-breathed. Now this is interesting because you know what it says in the Greek? For that word, what it says, you know, God-breathed. You know what it literally says in the Greek? It literally says, God breathed. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, yeah, this is one of those places where the NIV, the New International, decided, hey, we're just going to literally translate this thing. And the old King James, it said all Scripture is inspired. But literally in the Greek, it says it's God breathed. And here's what Paul is saying. He says, this book, this book is a supernatural book. Yes, it was written by men, all kinds of different men, over 1,500 years and three different continents. And yes, yes, it was. Yes, it was Isaiah. And yes, it was Moses. And yes, it was Jeremiah. And yes, it was all these people. Yes, it's a human book. But it's more than a human book. It is a God-breathed book. That, was like, that God supernaturally breathed the message through his human authors so that the end result is a supernatural, what Paul calls, holy scriptures. You see? Now, because of this, because it's a supernatural book, 
Not a natural book, a supernatural book. He says, because of that, verse 16, it, it's, it's God-breathed, so it's useful for four things in our life. It's useful, for, first of all, for teaching. Now, you've already saw that, right, in Romans 15, 4. Everything written in the past was written to teach us, so it's seen the teaching. Second, it's, in, it's useful for rebuking. Have you ever needed a good rebuking in your life? <laughs> it's like you just, you know you're off base, and you just need someone to call you out. And he says, the Bible's really good at that. Um, the third thing is correcting. Have you ever honestly thought you were on the right path, but you just weren't, and you just needed to be corrected, like a mid-course correction? Okay, the Bible's really good at that. Um, and, and, it's, and it's good for training in righteousness. Uh, do you want to live life the right way? Wouldn't it be great to have a personal life coach to come along to train you, be a spiritual trainer in the living life the right way? The Bible does that. And he says, so that the man of God, in this case, Timothy, but of course it applied to all of us as Christ followers, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's an interesting phrase. Every good work. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, in fact, it's there in your notes, you want to check this out later, he says that we have been created in Christ Jesus as Christ followers to do good works which God has prepared in advance before the creation of the world. So, so God has a plan for your life. He's got a plan for my life. It's to make a difference. Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. He's got a purpose for you to accomplish certain good works, but how does God prepare us to carry out our life purpose? He prepares us through this word. You see, that's, it's our training to prepare us. So, so if you want to live life the right way, if you want to be taught the right way, if you want to be corrected, you want to be rebuked, you want to be trained, uh, you want to have the very words of God, then, then here it is. It's, it's this word, okay? Now, this is Paul's perspective on this book. Now the question, you can't even understand his life without understanding this, okay? That every week we talk about how Paul is our mentor. We're going to ask him to mentor us in the Christian life and how to be a follower of Jesus. Every week I start that way, right? So the lesson today is the Word. He's going to mentor us today in the Word. So we see what the Word is for the Apostle Paul, but the question is, what is the Word for us? What's the word for us as individuals? What's the word for us as a church, as part of the movement of Jesus? Yeah, that's the question. So there in your note sheet, you have a section. <coughs> it's called The Word in You, Three Key Questions. And what I want to do in the time that we have is to ask three very important questions of our life as we enter into 2009. This is a message very appropriate at the start of a new year. Of, of where do we stand with the Word? And here's question number one. The first question is, what is the Word to you? What is the Word to you? In other words, we, we've seen what the Word is to the Apostle Paul, right? It's the very words of God. We've seen how he sees it. The question is, as we enter 2009, is what is the Word to you? How do you see it? What, what is this book to you? Is this, a, is this a supernatural 
book to you? Is it a God-breathed book to you? It is, the, is it the very words of God to you? Is it the embodiment of knowledge and truth to you? What do you think about this book? What do you believe about this book? That's the question. Now, you might say, well, Mike, that's kind of an easy question. Like, like I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And, and if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you know, that's an easy question. I believe it's the Word of God. I, I believe like Paul does. And the question is, do you really? Here's my question. Do you really? Do you see it? That is that how you see it? Because here's what I found. Even in Christian circles, we are often practical atheists when it comes to the Bible. <laughs> it's like we, we, we kind of believe theoretically it's the Word of God, but when it comes to our life, whoa, I'm not so sure on this particular issue. You see? It's not as clear-cut as you might think. And here's what I suggest is that if you truly believe that this book is a supernatural book, a couple things I can tell about you. First of all, you are in the minority in this world today, at least in our culture, in our culture, let's put it that way. You're a minority in our culture, and you're going to get some serious pushback on some issues from our culture if you truly believe that. Uh, last week, uh, in preparing for this message, I was uh, doing some research, and I came across a study from the Gallup poll people from 2006, so pretty recent, and they asked people in our country, United States, what do you believe about the Word of God? And it came out that 30% of people, 3 out of 10 people, believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Now, frankly, that seemed a little high to me. Like, I don't know where all these people are hiding. Um, they're obviously not from California. They're not in my neighborhood. Because I don't think 3 out of 10 in my neighborhood, you know, believe in this. As a secular workforce, don't think, in fact, I think back to my job experience, no, not three out of ten. We did not, we have three out of ten. And, and so, so if you really believe this, you're going to be in a minority. See, I think what most people believe in our culture, uh, there are some people in our culture who believe the Bible is evil, it's, uh, it's, the, it's the, the source of all kinds of evil in our, our lives, and I understand that. Some people hate the Bible, but most people don't. I think most people in our culture see the Bible as kind of a good book as long as you don't take it too seriously, right? Um, like, like, for example, um, I was talking with a friend recently, and she goes to a church, one of those churches that believes that kind of all paths lead to, all, all paths are the, are the same and lead to, to lead to the same God, you know, one of those kinds of churches. And so we were talking philosophy and ministry, and she was asking me what's going on in our church, and I'm telling her, she's going, well, what about this, and why do you do that, and what's going on here, and why do you think this, and what are you trying to accomplish this, and blah, blah, blah. I'm just talking philosophy and ministry because she's interested. And so along the way, I was talking about being a follower of Jesus, what that mean, and his word, and blah, blah, blah. And, and so she makes a comment. When the Bible comes up, she makes a comment. Oh, yeah, in, in our church, we see the Bible as, as um, one of the, the sources of wisdom literature. We, we see it as a, a wisdom literature. Now, the moment she said that, I totally got what she was saying. Um, that This is, I think, the common view of our culture, that the Bible is a source of wisdom literature. Of course, so is the Quran right? So are the writings of the Hindus or uh, Buddhist writings. Uh, writings of Mahatma Gandhi would be wisdom literature. Uh, uh, so would Martin Luther King Jr. That, this, that the Bible is just kind of one of the pieces of this huge repository of spiritual wisdom that has been discovered by the human race. And so it's, it's good in that sense. It's, it's wisdom literature. Now here's what I want you to catch. Paul is not saying it's wisdom literature, He's saying it's the very words of God. 
You see? Now here's the question, and here's the danger. I believe as the movement of Jesus Christ today that we are in tremendous danger of moving from seeing the Bible as the very words of God to seeing it as wisdom literature. And here is the danger for us, that if we make that move, if we suddenly, because the culture is constantly forcing us this way, if we move, if we make that move, our paradigm shifts to the Bible, not the very words of God, it's wisdom literature that gives us good wisdom on life, and we kind of pick and choose. Here's the danger. The danger is that you and I will never be transformed, will never experience the life God has for us. I, I want to take us back to something the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 12. Remember, this is how this section, this final mini-series starts. It starts with a statement in Romans chapter 12. And when we were there a few weeks ago, I told you that these opening two verses of Romans 12 are really like an umbrella statement that, that kind of takes in the whole mini-series. And, and so let's we'll look just to verse 2. Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. So he says, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to be different from the way the world thinks. And be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. And so we talked about this. Remember that the goal is transformation. We become like Jesus. And that transformation happens as we're a renewal of our mind. And he says that when, when that happens then at that point in our life, you'll be able to test and approve to experience what God's will is for your life, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Remember we talked about this. God's got a plan for your life. It's good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. But in order to experience it, you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, guess what one of God's greatest tools to renew our mind is? It's his word, isn't it? And, and what happens is when we see it as wisdom literature, we start to pick and choose. And what happens is that we have, there's certain areas where I like what it says here, and so I already agree with it, so I'll let it speak to me on these issues. But on these issues, I don't like what it says at all, and so I'm going to ignore that, uh, that sort of thing. But what happens, those are the very areas we need to be transformed, you see? Those are the areas we need to have our minds renewed. And so if we pick and choose, what happens is we never get renewed in our life. We just get affirmed in what we already are. See, we, we just read this. In the, and so this is a critical issue for us as a church. It's a critical issue for us as followers of Jesus in your life as you enter this year. The question is, what is the word of God to you? Is it wisdom literature or is it the very words of God? This is an intellectual decision that every one of us has to make. You can't be on the fence in this. It either is or it isn't. And so where do you stand on this? Is it the very words of God? Or is it a mixture of the words of God, the words of man? They, they, it's just kind of this weird mix, and we pick and choose. Okay? So that's the first question. Now, second question. The second question is, are you working the word into your life? <laughs> so you come to me and you say, okay, Mike, I get it. I get what you're saying. You're right. I can see it. 
It is the very words. I need to resist this cultural thing. I need to embrace it as the very words of God. It is what I believe. I, I, I've been drifting. Okay, I, need to, I get that. It's the very words of God. Well, my second question is, well, are you working the word into your life? Because obviously, it doesn't do any good to believe the Bible is the word of God if it just sits on our shelf. Because it can't do any transformation from its place on the coffee table. Right? Like, I, you, you catch what I'm saying this? Uh, I believe the Bible is the very, you believe, the very words of God. Yes, I do. What do you do with it? I put it on my nightstand. Awesome. Great. I'm sure it's holy and sanctified. That nightstand's probably just glowing with light. Oh, it does. It has a little light there and everything. <laughs> a little altar. Um, you see what I'm saying? Is it, it, doesn't do, it doesn't transform us unless it gets in us. And so we have to work the word into our life. You know, when Lynn and I, uh, we first moved up here, we, we had lived at a house in uh, San Diego, North San Diego County in Vista for uh, 18 years. And, uh, and it, we had about a third of a third of an acre of land, pretty big backyard for small back, uh, small front yard. And, and the grass in the front yard had never grown. Um, and, and the reason, I mean, there's more, multiple reasons. One, it had this huge mulberry tree, so way too much shade. It was kind of killing everything underneath it, dropping the berries and stuff. Uh, the other reason was the ground was like concrete, you know. It was like adobe soil, oh, adobe soil, and you know how hard that can get. It, really, it was just packed. I mean, it was, it was like concrete, and so nothing would grow there. So we decided, you know, we want to, to, to kind of put in new grass. So we pull out the mulberry tree, big job, and, uh, and then we're going we're, we're gonna to put in sod. But it just, you know, I know just, in, in, you know, obviously that, hey, this is never going to work just to put sod on concrete, you know, that... <laughs> That no nutrients can get in, no oxygen can get in, no water can get in, nothing can get out. This soil can't breathe, and so we're going to have to break up this soil. And so, I, you know, I call the dump truck company, and I have them bring I have this five to ten yards of sand, a huge amount of sand. Uh, I, I, we bring in a soil amendments, we bring in a fertilizers, we bring in mulch, we bring in all this stuff, huge piles. And I, I borrow my dad's rototiller that's like Sears' biggest, you know, Sears' best, and this huge, you know, five-horsepower thing. And I start to attack this, and it's like as I begin to attack this, I mean, it won't, the, the rototiller will not even cut into this ground. It's like bouncing on the top, you know, just kind of b- bouncing along, you know, woo, you know, and it's like throwing you around, you know, woo, feels like a jackhammer or something like that. And, and, and so finally you begin to catch a, you know, a little niche here, a little niche there. Begins to, and, and then you start, you start working all this good stuff into it. Start working all these amendments into it. And, and as you work it and you work it hour after hour and day after day, it took forever. We worked all this stuff. It became the most beautiful soil you could imagine because adobe soil is rich with nutrients once you break it up. And it made just this, this loamy soil that would go down like 12, 18 inches. Just amazing soil. We put an irrigation system, put the sod on top. It just thrived. It's growing to this day. We sold our house to a friend so we could always check up on it. And it's, it's just going really well. Soil's really good. Now, here's the point. Our lives are much like that front yard. We come to Jesus. We make a decision. Jesus, we want to follow you. Would you take over the front yard of our life? Would you kind of redo this thing? And our lives are hard. Our heads are hard. We are stubborn. We think we know best, right? We have hard heads. We have hard hearts. We got a lifetime of doing life our own way. We don't, we're not, they're not sensitive. They're not gentle. They're not loving. They're just the hard hearts, right? And so that's what God begins to rototill. Well, what, what does he rototill into our life? It's his word. 
It's the nutrients of his word. He begins to work his word into our life. And as his word goes into our life, it begins to break it up. It begins to break up the hard spot. And we begin to be able to grow and be transformed and produce good fruit and good, 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 good from this good soil. You, are you with me on this? And this is how it is. You have to work the word into your life, not just a little bit here. Not only, it's got to be worked into the soil, to the core of your life. Now, there's a couple ways that we need to do this. And I want to talk to you about this because some of you are probably doing really well on one and not well on another or you're good on the one and not on the other or, or you know, some of you are in real sad shape. Not, you're not good on either one. But I got good news because I'm going to tell you how to do this, right? Uh, I want to talk to you about one way to work the word is more of a public way and one way is more of a personal way, all right? So the personal, let's talk about the public first. Uh, One of the ways we need to work the word into our life is through uh, just being in a good church. And some of you are saying like, what, this this isn't a good church? Let me explain what I mean. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, and you can check it out later. In fact, you'll be studying this week in your life group homework. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 that God has given gifted leaders to the the church, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and all, to grow the church up, right? Um, And and one of the, the roles of gifted leaders is to bring the truth of God to bear on life, to work the truth, to work the word into our life. And, and so this is the way God's designed it. And so if you're serious about working the word into your life, step number one is find a good church. Find a church where the word is being taught, in a, and it's, it's being taught in a contextual way, true to the text, not just a verse here, verse there. Find a church where, where the word's being taught in a way that's practical, it speaks to your life. Find a church where the word is speaking to you during the services where you feel like, man, I felt God's talking to me. Yeah, look for a church like that. You see, this is one of the most important steps you ever make to work the word in your life. Now, a lot of you are saying, well, Mike, oh, okay, obvious, we get that. I mean, we're here, all right? Well, some of you do get it. Some of you have got this wired. And so when it comes to the weekend, you don't decide whether you're going to church or not. You just go to church. You, you might decide whether it's Saturday you might decide whether it's Sunday or what service you go to, but unless you're out of town or something, you don't decide, you know, are, should I go to church this weekend? You, you've got this spiritual habit of working the Word into your life, and so every week you just come, and every week the Word's getting worked into your life, just automatically, okay? But there's others of us here that we don't have that wire jet, that what the way we do the weekends is we come to the weekend, we say, do you feel like going to church? I'm not so sure. What's on TV? You know? Let's see, oh, we got the playoffs today. Of course, they're not here to hear this message. <clears throat> so, you know, uh, you know, so let's not, uh, you know, it's a beautiful day. I'm, let's go to the beach. Let's, let's just go. It's been a hard week at work. And so for a lot of us, that we go to church what, it's month, once a month or twice a month or whatever. And what's happening is when we go, we're like, man, that was really good. I needed to hear that. We should go more often, right? But, but what happens is, it, is that we're not working the word into our life on a regular basis. And then all of a sudden, we're like, why isn't life working for me? I'm a follower of Jesus. I've asked him into my life. 
I believe the Bible is the very words of God. Why is my life not being transformed? Well, the reason is because we're not working the word into our life on a regular basis. We're only getting fed once a month. Try that in your, in your regular life, you know. And so, so for some of us here, that decision as we start a brand new year is, hey, I just need to be at church. I need to stop this mentality of, hey, uh, what else is going on this, this month? You know, what else is going on? I just, need to, I just need to be there. And this is a very practical way. The second way, though, is more personal way, and this deals with outside of church. And, and, and each of us has to find a way to work the word into our lives outside of the weekend services. Now, this will vary from person to person, and you have to find what works for you. But if you want to be transformed, you've got to find a way to work the word in your life. Now, it, it might look like this. It might look like, hey, I'm going to start getting up early in the morning and spend some time with God. It might be, I'm going to stay up later at night, spend some time with God. It might mean I'm going to turn the TV off or, earlier and spend some time with God. It might look like uh, I'm going to join a, a, a regular Bible study, like Bible study fellowship or community Bible study. You know, we had started the women's version of that here on Tuesday mornings. It's going really well. And, and I'm going to do it that way. Uh, some of you, it's going to, I need to join a life group, and then I'll do my homework every week, and that'll help me get into the Word. Some of you are already in a life group, and you're like, I need to start doing the homework. <laughs> um, some of you, um, hey, there's a thought, woo, new, newsflash. Uh, like, wow, just, is that why it's in the bulletin every week? You know, it's amazing. Um, that was for me? Huh. Um, some of you uh, need to get a life journal. You know, we saw our life journals out here that, are, that kind of walk you through the Word. Uh, uh, you can read the whole Bible through it a year, and, and you can get those at our resource center. There's a couple versions, one for beginners and one for, you know, more used to it. But uh, some of you need to, you know, you can buy the, the Bible on CD and listen in your car. There's just a million different ways to work the Word in your life. I don't know what will work for you. You've got to experiment, try it out. But what I'm telling you is your life is not going to be transformed if you don't work the Word in. Okay? So those are the first two questions. What's the Word to you? Are you working into your life? There's a final question. And the question is, are you willing to follow? Okay, so you say, okay, Mike, I get it. It is the very words of God. I believe that. Okay, I'm going to start working in my life. or The third question is, are you willing to follow? You know, we started, this, uh, started today with the story of this uh, trip I took, this road trip I took. And uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but it was a great time. It was one of the most amazing trips of my life. It was uh, almost 1,600 miles, six days, by myself, on this motorcycle, exploring this incredible sights. I mean, it was just, have you ever, like, played with little kids before? And, like, you throw them up in the air, and they say, like, do it again, right? And then you do it again, and you're like, do it again. It's like, I felt like a little kid like that. Every curve, every corner, it was so amazing, more amazing than one before. It's like, God, do it again, do it again, you know? And I, I've got, I'm out there in the middle of nowhere, you know, and, and, it's, and it's just uh, the, the, it's this time of year, no one on the road. I could go an hour or two without seeing another car on someone's beautiful landscape on planet Earth, you know. And you're just, but it was just an amazing trip. But there was, there, was, there was moments on the trip that I had this thought. It was like, who am I and how did I get here? 
Like, what am I doing? Who am I, like Bilbo Baggins or something? <laughs> you know, it's like I'm, I'm 1,600 miles away. There's no one around. I'm going over hills and through rivers and up mountains and through forests and over plains. And, and there's no one there. I'm going around curves and cliffs that are really steep <laughs> with sand on them, you know? Like, if you go over the edge, no one ever know. And he was like, this is amazing. Like, how did this happen? What am I doing? What is this? When did I get so weird? You know, it's like. <laughs> and so, so I'm riding out there. And, and you know, the amazing thing is, almost 1,600 miles, six days, all by myself, middle of nowhere, all these different terrains. And you know, the amazing thing is, I never got lost. Not once. And, and you know why? The reason is because though I had never been this place before, someone else had been there before, and they had marked the trail. And there was incredible things called signs. <laughs> and I would take pictures of these signs, and I was every day posting uh, pictures on my Facebook account, so people back here could watch, take a picture of me. And it would be this sign, this incredible sign, that would say, you know, Cambria, Big Sur. San Francisco. Maybe come the next sign, you know, Big Sur, Monterey, Fort Bragg, right? And, and all you have to do is just follow the signs, and you can go where no man has gone before, <laughs> and you experience the adventure of your life. You see, all you do is pay attention to the signs. Now, this is what the Apostle Paul is, is telling us, that God's Word is like a sign in our life. In fact, I want you to see this. In Romans uh, 15, let's look what he says here. Romans 15 <coughs> and verse 4. Here's our verse we started the day with. For everything was written in the past was written to teach us. In other words, these, God has recorded everything in this book as a case study for, of what's gone before us. They're like signs for our life. Um, if you look at your note sheet there under this point, there's a verse from 1 Corinthians 10 where Paul is talking about the experience of the nation of Israel when they were in the wilderness before they, 40 years before they went to the promised land. Catch what it says, very profound. He says, these things happened to them, to the nation of Israel, as examples and were written down as warnings for us. You see that? Paul says, these things that were written, everything that was written was written to teach us. These things are written as examples to warn us, to tell us, how to, don't go this way, don't go this way. And, and so, you, so, you, so, for example, um, there's all these case studies in the Bible that tell us, okay, this, this adventure called life that you're on, I know you've never been here before, but there's going to be times when you come to a place in your life, you sense God is calling you to do something new that you've never done before, and it's going to be really scary, and it's going to take a lot of faith, and, and you're going to have to leave your past behind. And when you get there, there's a story about a man named Abraham. Check him out. Okay. And there's going to be times in your life you feel like God is calling you to do something, and you feel totally inadequate. And so there's a guy, his name is Moses. Check him out. Hey, there's a time in your life when you're going to find out you have an anger problem in your life. And people are telling you that you need to get a control of that because if you don't, it's going to destroy your life. 
And and just to help you understand that, there's a story about a guy named Moses who didn't go into the promised land because he never learned to control his anger. That's a warning for you. You need to get a grip on this. You need to find the answer to this. And there's going to be, you know, say, there, there's going to be time in your life where you just feel like you need wisdom and, and you don't know where to get it. And there's a story about a guy named Solomon. Check him out. And there's going to be a time in your life when you thought God was with you and you thought he was, and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose and your life falls apart and you can't figure out what's going on. There, there's a story. His, his name is Joseph. Would you check him out? And there's going to be a time when you have two really strong-willed kids and you've already read Dare to Discipline and you don't know what to do. And so you're thinking about just maybe I just need to slacken up and just let them go and do their own thing. There's a story about a guy named Eli with two really rotten kids named Hophni and Phineas. And what do you expect when you name your kids that? That they don't turn out to be horrible <laughs> kids. And, and, and so read this story. And there's going to be times when you say, hey, Mike, what do I, I need to do? I'm on these business trips. I'm a long ways from home. And I'm a good-looking guy. And I'm sitting at the bar. And these women come up. And they hit on me. And it's just so hard. And, and I'm going to say, Hey, read the story of David and see how it worked out for him. You see? And so we got all these stories that are like signs on the way saying, Mendocino this way, Big Sur this way, Fort Bragg this way. This is the way. Walk ye in it. You see? And you got these case studies. And the question is, are we going to follow it? And here's the point. You can believe the Bible is God's word. You can even work it into your life and never be changed. Did you catch that? It is possible. Churches are filled across this nation with people who believe the Bible is the word of God. They've worked it into their lives, and their lives have never been transformed. And you know why? Because they came to certain signposts in the line that said, this is the way. And you go, that doesn't look like the way. That doesn't make sense to me. I'm going the other way. This is the way. That looks like a hard road. I don't like that road. This is the way. Oh, but I'm getting a lot of pushback from my culture. That's not popular, you see. So the question is, when the Bible speaks to you about your life and it asks you to change and it asks you to do something that's hard and when it asks you to do something that makes no sense, when it asks you to do something that's politically incorrect or unpopular, what do you do at those moments of your life? And I can tell you this, if you tell me what you do at those intersections of your life when the Bible makes no sense, it's hard to do, it asks you to change, it's unpopular, it's politically incorrect, you tell me what you do when you come to those intersections in your life and I can predict your spiritual future. It's as simple as that, right? Three simple but powerful questions. What's the word to you? Are you working it into your life? And are you willing to follow, especially when it's hard, makes no sense, politically incorrect, unpopular, requires you to change? You see? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this powerful word. God, we want to be a people of the word. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We realize today it requires that we not only believe it, we not only work it in, but we follow it. We pray that you'd teach us how to do that as we enter this brand new year. You'd speak to us by name according to our need. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.